Let's pray again. Father, we thank you again for your word and pray that you would open it up to us now that we might behold wondrous things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll be referring in this talk uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. If you want to have that, instead of me reading those passages, I'll just be uh, referring to them as we go. And I'm going to be primarily addressing the young people during this talk. As always, there's application for everyone. Uh, We're all still growing and learning. But as I look out and look at young people, I see, of course, the next generation of soldiers for Jesus Christ, young men and young women. Now, of course, in the church, there are many young people uh, who have given themselves in total, as in total devotion to the pursuits, to pursuits and activities that in the end have little lasting value. They're caught up in all kinds of things that they think are important that are really completely temporary, completely going to blow away with the wind. They're a distraction to the point of obsession. Jesus described them in this way. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In fact, many young people are abandoning the church of Jesus Christ at alarming rates, and not just in other circles, in our own circles. But there are a few who have taken their Christian commitments to follow Jesus seriously. And I am hopeful that some, if not many of you, are part of that group. They have denied themselves, taken up the cross to follow Christ, And of these, Jesus said, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. That's Christian maturity. That's the goal of living things, is to be fruitful. The kingdom of God will either advance or retreat under your watch, and for this, Uh, So for you, this should be a time of contemplation about the future. Whether you know it or not, you are currently in training. The little things you do or the little things you don't do over the next few years are going to bear some kind of fruit. And the Bible assures you, assures us all, that we will reap what we sow. What you do or don't do over the next few years will determine whether you are what the Lord calls a profitable or an unprofitable servant. And this has everything to do with Christian maturity. And so the conditions of our day we face in the church are similar to the conditions of the nation of Israel in the days of young David. Remember, history is recorded for us in the Bible so that we don't forget, so that we will learn its lessons uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things happened to them, uh, the children of Israel in Egypt, uh, and they were written for your instruction. And so the people and the leaders then and now had forgotten God and sought to be like the other nations. They had become weak and ineffective against their enemies. They lived in desperate times, as do you. The temptation for you will be to go along with the crowd to succumb to peer pressure, to compromise God's principles. We see this all over, whether we're talking about sexual ethics or identity politics and all these kinds of things. All this 
pressures being put upon the church to conform to what is in vogue right now. And so, the temptation is always to fear men rather than to fear God, to seek your own pleasure and comfort. The desire to be cool is a powerful temptation. But coolness is usually a cover for the opposite. It's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness and insecurity. In addition, many of your teachers going forward in life, whether that's in schools or just in some other location, will seek to undermine your Christian faith. Ephesians 4.14, and if you are spiritual children, the Bible says that if we are children, then we will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Everything will just knock us around left and right because we have no foundation. The world eats children. They chew you up. They spit you out. God is seeking to prepare godly men and women to stand in the gap. God told Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, 14, we'll come back to verse, uh, chapter 16 and 17 in a moment, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. This should, take, this should be the description of every believer in this place, a life dedicated to his service and his honor, a life of character and courage, full-grown, mighty men and women of God. When I pray for little children at baptism, you know, one of the things I always pray for, God, make this child a godly man or woman, a warrior for Christ. Even now, start that work now. And so this should be, again, the description of all of us. Notice what God says about David in Acts 13.22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So first, God was seeking after a man like this. It was God doing the seeking, and God says, I found David. Second, David met God's primary requirement for service, a man after his heart. Third, the evidence that David had a heart for the Lord was that he was a man who will do all my will. Fourth, David was a very young man when this was said of him. Probably 14, something like that. Do you understand the seriousness of the task that's before you? God is seeking men and women like you to whom he may entrust the future of the kingdom work. People who are genuinely seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have churches full of people who are just hanging on, waiting to be rescued by Jesus from all difficulties, but only a few who are preparing for the future. These are the ones that God wants. These are the ones that God will use. And he will choose and use them because they are already serving him in the little unseen things day in and day out. God told Samuel that the man he had chosen to be king would be one of the sons of Jesse. And so this should be an example for each of us. So Samuel, in in chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, as Jesse's sons were brought in for this assembly, one of them is going to be anointed king, and Samuel's eyes land on Eliab, the oldest brother of David, tall, a warrior, a decorated warrior at that. 
And what does Samuel immediately say? He says what we would say. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Look at him. All handsome, muscular. He had a great resume. He was cool. But the Lord was not impressed. Verse 7. One by one, the seven sons of Jesse came before Samuel, but none of them were men after God's heart. Apparently, David, the youngest son of Jesse, because he was the youngest, had the worst job in the family, and that was he was out taking care of the sheep. Somebody had to take care of the livestock. So while the rest of the family's there having a big gathering and a great meal and a celebration, young David was out taking care of the sheep. And he, and obviously, Jesse didn't even think he was in the running. Just a boy. Now, here's some application and warnings. Do you work at being an Eliab, seeking to impress others with the way you look or act? Well, if that's all you do, then God's not impressed. Do you feel insignificant? Maybe this applies to more of you. You feel insignificant and forgotten at times, perhaps by your family or friends or the church. God still notices you. He knows right where you are. He knows what you did today or what you didn't do today. The most important issue, what does God see when he looks at you and when he looks at your heart? What did God see you doing yesterday? Who would you rather be, Eliab or David? And so what we're going to learn here is, like David, you've got to be faithful in the responsibilities that God has given you today. God often tests our faithfulness in small responsibilities before he entrusts us with large responsibilities. David was faithful in little things. His older brothers were warriors, and they held more important positions in their father's house. David, again, had been assigned to this lowly responsibility of shepherding the flock. And we clearly see this. Eliab saw this as a low position. We go over to 1 Samuel 17. Remember, the armies of Israel have been gathered, and they're facing the Philistines and Goliath, and they're out there shaking in their boots, trying to figure out what to do. Here comes David. I love this picture. Here's the brothers in their armor and their war gear and all the troops, and here comes David with a sack lunch. He brought some food to his brothers. He really, in fact, Eliab's going to chide him. He said, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, that is David, and Eliab's anger, big brother, was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart you have come down to see the battle. I know why you're here, little brother. Won't you go back to those few stinking little sheep of yours and let the real men take care of this? So it was a big brother put down. But David took his job responsibilities seriously and was faithful in his service. He wasn't concerned about fame or fortune, and he was content with where God had put him. And we have an account of some of David's faithfulness and development in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35. Remember when Saul is talking to him after he's volunteered to fight Goliath, and you can tell how desperate they must have been that Saul even granted him an interview. 
And he says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. He took his job seriously. The threat of the loss of one sheep demonstrates this. Many other shepherds might have gone the other way and just let that lamb go, but not David. And so, David's faithfulness in this humble sphere where God had placed him, prepared him to be in a place of a a much more important position later. Again, we read in Psalm 78, 70 through 72, he also chose David, his servant, this is God, and took him from the sheepfolds out there in that nothing job, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with a skillful hand. So now he's the shepherd of all of Israel here in Psalm 78. How did he get there? Where did he learn those skills when he was a teenage boy out there in no man's land taking care of those, as Eliab put it, those few sheep? Learning to do what? It was in this humble school of preparation with the flocks of his father that David developed the skills that God would use later. Like Joseph, he didn't know how his story ended. He didn't know what God was going to do with him. All he knew was, I have a job to do today. Shepherding sheep prepared him to shepherd people. He developed the character qualities of faithfulness, of courage, of patience. He developed his skill with a slingshot, which God would later use to establish him as a great warrior. He learned to play the harp and to write poetry, which landed him a job in the palace, which gave him a look and an understanding of how the palace operated so he'd know how to be king. Keep in mind, at this time, David, again, had no idea, nothing in his mind of how God was going to use these skills in his service. In the parable of the talents, Jesus commends the faithful servant and said, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. God has given each of you some responsibilities. Honoring and obeying your parents, doing your schoolwork, performing your various chores. These responsibilities might not seem that important to you, but God is testing and preparing you for the future. Faithfulness and diligence are vital. When you squander the gifts and opportunities that God gives you, don't be surprised when he passes you up and uses somebody else for those bigger, more important things. Remember in the parable, the man who had been given money but failed to make it profitable, Jesus said, Take the mina from him, the money from him, and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So whatever you've been given, you better put it to work. You better use it. That's a gift from God. You must be faithful in the little things before God will trust you in the big things. 
You need not seek fame or popularity or fortune, but as Peter says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time when you're ready. If you're not ready, he's not going to exalt you. David's service in Saul's palace tested his willingness to be humble and to serve. He already knew someday he was going to be king. He'd already been anointed by Samuel. But here he is working as a harp player for for Saul. He met the qualifications. There was a job opening and an opportunity. And he didn't wait till the job opening came up to try to get ready. I asked somebody not too long ago. He's 35 years old. Uh, not a member of our church, but I was just talking with him. He was interested in a, in a woman. And I said, so what? how did you spend your 20s? He kind of hung his head. Well, I kind of wasted my 20s playing video games. I said, well, you're 35 now. What have you done in your 30s? Well, I think I'm at a point where I'm ready to change. I said, so what do you want to do? And uh, he said, uh, he thought had to think a minute. He said, I want to be a brewer. And I, I held back what you just did. <laughs> um, and I said, really, what, what have you done to do that? Well, have you gone to school? Have you read some books? Have you apprenticed with somebody? Well, No. And I had the occasion to speak to him rather frankly and said, you know what, Um, you might have a few more years left, but if you haven't gotten busy doing something, it might be too late now. But if by the time you're 40, you hadn't done anything, you're not ever going to do anything. That's the truth. And probably by the time you're 25, if you hadn't done anything, you might not ever do anything. You'd have no reason to think you would. you got to do stuff. You got to do little stuff. You got to do it a lot. You got to do it faithfully. You got to do it every day. And I'm going to give you some hints of where to start here in a few minutes. David, skillful musician. Who is he playing for? Sheep. Sheep are dumb. Okay. There's a there's a term. I didn't know this term. I had a friend of mine who's a school teacher, and he liked it. It's called being ass-eared, because a jackass, if you put on classical music, will turn his ears. Like he's listening, like he's really appreciating what's going on. A lot of students are that way. Uh, and so it's a, it's a good term. Well, I imagine the sheep are just kind of gathering up as David would play his harp, as though they were his audience. But he also had another audience, and that was God. He was a mighty man of valor. Who saw his valor out there when he was fighting bears and lions? God did. He was a warrior, prudent in speech. Oh, and it didn't hurt that he was handsome and that the Lord was with him. Where do you think David developed these qualifications? He had been faithful to develop the gifts that God had given him, the sling, his poetry, and his harp while he was out in the field. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all your might. You want to be a great Christian witness at your first job? Zip your lips and work hard. Show up early, stay late, be the best employee there. They'll figure out something's different about you. And they'll ask. And when they don't hear you using the language everybody else is using, and when they see you showing kindness to everybody around you, including their customers, 
That's how you advance faithfulness in little things. Again, David was developing these skills. He had no idea where God was going to place him. He had neglected to, had he neglected to develop any of these gifts, then he would not have been prepared to assume the new and greater responsibilities and opportunities. This is walking by faith, not by sight. The new exalted position didn't go to David's head, nor did it cause him to neglect his old responsibilities. First Samuel 17, 15, after he got the job in the palace playing the harp, it says this, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock at Bethlehem. We had a couple of jobs. First, we see God calling David to occupy the throne of Israel as Samuel's anointed. Next, we see him in a place of service, called to a task and then tested. He must have wondered how he would ever come to the throne. It was occupied by Saul. It seemed destined to be inherited by Jonathan, Saul's son. But David was patient. He did not seek to assist God's providence. Godliness involves doing the right thing even when we can't see how it's going to work out. Sometimes we say, I'll obey God if I can see how I think it'll work. Sometimes in counseling, I'll tell somebody, yeah, I just don't think that'll work. Yeah, but God said to do it. Yeah, but I don't think that'll work. So you're an unbeliever. You don't believe God. So when Saul calls David to his service, David might naturally have feared Saul, right? What if Saul found out that Samuel had anointed him to be the next king? But when a man truly fears God, he doesn't fear men. And so David fell in on his new responsibilities, just like he had his old ones. His service to Saul became known to all. He had a good reputation as a servant. 1 Samuel 18.30, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Are you prepared to be a faithful servant? Remember, maturity can be measured by self-sacrifice and service to others. Are you fully developing the gifts that God has given you? Are you patiently trusting God for your future? Who do you fear more, God or men? And then David is put to a major test. Armies of Israel faced a serious challenge, as does God's army today. The longtime enemies of Israel, the Philistines, had come up with an awesome new weapon with which to fight God's people. The same old enemy, new weapons of warfare. The well-known champion of the Philistines was about nine feet six inches tall with massive armor. Basically, he was a human tank. He was very intimidating and seemed impossible to conquer. Twice a day for 40 days, Goliath came before the armies of Israel and taunted them, demonstrating the weakness of Israel and the terror of the people demonstrated that they had ceased to fear God. Who was there that could respond to this challenge? How about Saul himself? 1 Samuel 9, 2, from the shoulders and upward was higher than any of the people. Tallest guy in the room, Saul. Or Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, who assisted only by his armor bearer, had on another occasion killed 20 Philistines. Or Abner, captain of the host, who's described as a valiant man. 
Or Eliab, who we mentioned, David's older brother, who according to Samuel's own opinions of his looks and size, must surely be the next king. None of these men volunteered for the job. But God did have a man for the job. And while performing his routine responsibilities to his family, David brings a great test. Excuse me, God brings a great test to David. David didn't go looking for trouble, but in the providence of God, he overheard Goliath's challenge to the armies of Israel, and David realizes how fearful the men in God's army really are. And he also recognized the fact that it's not just Israel that's being mocked, but in reality, it's the God of Israel that's being mocked. Eliab, typical big brother, as we said, puts David down, but David is undeterred. Saul hears of David's statement, calls for David to be brought before him. He volunteers for the task of taking on Goliath. Saul puts, uh, points out that David is young and inexperienced, and David replies, but God has prepared me. In fact, he was mature for his age, as was Daniel, who was also a teenager, as was the little servant girl in Naaman's house, who was probably less than a teenager but faithful. David had an understanding that if there was to be any success in the future, it would be just like the success that he had had in the past. And that is, it would be the Lord's doing. He says that in verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17. If God had helped him rescue a lamb, wouldn't he also help him rescue a nation? And so David prepares for battle. Saul tries to armor David, but David... It fell off of David, basically. He was too puny. He wasn't quite there yet. And so David select, selected sticks and stones. Goliath mocks David for his youth, curses him, and threatens him. But David is not intimidated nor impressed and declares to Goliath that he's not just up against a boy, but he's up against the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, is who he has to contend with. David again demonstrates the fact that if a battle is to be won, it's won by the Lord. And as a result of the fact that God would destroy his mighty enemy of his people by using such an unlikely servant as David, God would be well known and glorified. God loves to take the things that aren't. He loves to take nobodies like you and me and use them Because then he gets all the glory. So I don't have any talent. Good. Good place to start. You have no talent. You have no abilities. Then cast yourself upon God. Let him do it. You think he can? Can he do it? Oh, yeah, he can do it. But can he do it through you? Yes, he can. And so David went on the offensive. He strikes Goliath in one of his vulnerable places. He must have studied his enemy pretty carefully and brings him down. Then he kills Goliath with his own sword, and as a result, Israel rejoices and is encouraged and begins to pursue the Philistines all of a sudden. And David shares in the spoils of victory over the enemy, and God, as the Lord, blesses his faithfulness and courage. You will face many enemies that will appear as giants in your life. It is easy to forget that when God is on your side, you have nothing to fear. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Like Israel, we may not simply glory in the battles won in the past. We have to face the challenges of the day. The mature man or woman of God will stand and do the right thing even when the odds are overwhelming and even when they are afraid. And that's genuine courage. Courage is not lack of fear. It's doing what's right even when you're afraid. You may be tempted to say, who me? I can't do that. Yet the Lord frequently again uses weak things for his glory. David, God had prepared David in the secret place. And that's where he will prepare you. He'll prepare you in your bedroom, at home, in your backyard, with your friends, at your school, at your new job. Matthew 6, 6, but if you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Like David, your concern has to be for the glory and honor of God. You have to study your enemy carefully and find out where he's vulnerable, but remember the battle is the Lord's. Now, I want you to notice, too, that David, how he responded to peer pressure. Saul was out to kill David, having been challenged by David's superior character and skill. Providentially, Saul entered into a cave to uh, take a break, as they say. And David's men were held up in there and saw him. David had an opportunity to take matters into his own hand. He could have killed Saul, hid the body. No one would have ever known. But he didn't. He almost bought the advice of his men who advised him to do that, but at the last minute he realized that was not sound counsel, and rather than killing Saul, he just cuts off a piece of his robe. And then David instructs his friends, in effect, that God, God's will could not contradict the principles of his word. Thou shalt not kill, and submission to authority. And as a result, Saul got away. Remember, Saul was in pursuit of David. You will often be faced with tough decisions over what to do. How you will go about, how will you go about making those decisions? You'll receive pressure and counsel from your friends that might be good or bad. They might even quote a Bible verse. Providence may seem to present you an opportunity, an open door, but remember, not all open doors were meant to be gone through. Jay Adams says uh, some of them lead to elevator shafts. Um, your obligation is to be certain of what God requires and to act in faith based on his word. So let me wrap this up here. We have to come to see the big picture. David's life, uh, lived his life in the presence and fear of God. First secretly in the little things, then publicly in the big things. And you too have to come to that place in the kingdom of God where it is the very substance of your life. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. The Christian faith is not a part of your life. It is your life. Um, Let me flip over here. I want to end with... uh, For several years, um, I'm going to give you a really practical thing, young people. Uh, Some of you are probably already doing this. But it's a little, really little thing that really matters. Um, so Jesus teaches that if we're faithful in little, we'll be faithful over much. Someone who is a slouch of a teenager is likely to be a slouch of an adult. 
This doesn't mean that we can never repent, but it does mean that repentance is needed in order to deal with certain habits that we've established in our lives. We frequently want adult privileges without adult responsibilities. Getting older only amplifies what we are. Little blame shifters become big blame shifters. Little disorganized people become big disorganized people. Little lazy bones become big lazy bones. I know that you're probably, you probably have some big ideas and some big dreams. And for those I'm happy, you need to have big ideas and big dreams. But these won't fall from the sky. They will come little by little, day by day. The fallen world is filled with devils and idols and obstacles. And as you step out into the world, you're going to be tested with little things every day. Do you get up when the alarm goes off? Do you get up now when the alarm goes off? What makes you think you're going to do it then? Do you make your bed? Uh Uh-oh, he's getting personal here. Well, why not? Allow me to add a few questions to the list. Do you clean up after yourself? Do you serve others? Do you go to church? Do you tithe? Do you provide for yourself? Do you study? This list could go on for quite some time. How these questions get answered is critical to how your story will end. How do you want your story to end? Let's jump over to the last chapter. Well, How are you going to get from chapter 2 to chapter 12, given what's going on in chapter 2? Something's got to change. Like the first button in the buttonhole on your shirt, how you begin has a great deal to do with how you end. And so I was glad to see that two, uh, a couple of years ago, the commencement address at the University of Texas was given by Naval Admiral William H. McRaven, ninth commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command, and he agreed with me. I'd been saying this for years to our young people, just asking you to make your bed every day. Just get up. How long does it take to make your bed? I'll ask this to kids and stuff. Someone say, five minutes? How about 15 seconds? Maybe 30 seconds. Okay? And what if you prayed while you did that? And just said, Lord, bless my day and go with me today and remind me that you're there. Now you've done two things that are really good. It brought a little order to your life. It made your mother happy. Uh, it You can stand back. No matter what happened that day, you come home and the bed's made and you say, at least... At least I did something today. And that spills over. Now listen to what the admiral said. Every morning in basic SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they would inspect was your bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. Rack, that's Navy talk for bed. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, 
you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, that you made, and a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Unfortunately, it seems that few young people take this kind of advice seriously. It seems silly or unimportant. For the ones that do take this kind of advice seriously, I can tell you now that their trajectory is excellent. And by the way, everyone has a trajectory. You'll have to labor to become men and women who don't make excuses, but who do your duty toward God and your neighbor. This will be more than anything else required. This will more than anything else require that you begin by being faithful in little things day in and day out. You can't wait for the big moment to be the big man or the big woman. You'll first have to be the big man or the big woman a thousand times in little situations in private. Then and only then, when a crisis or a temptation or an opportunity presents itself suddenly, then you are ready because it's now second nature to you. It's just who you are. It's just what you do. You see, strength and character don't happen in a hurry. You have to work at these virtues. Character is a slowly forming thing, formed through the little things, and you have to be the person who chooses over and over again to develop moral muscles and skills which will shape and form a thoroughly flourishing Christian character. What you put in is what will ultimately come out. What your eyes see and what your ears hear and what you spend time with. The point of all this is that after you have practiced the Christian virtues, they become second nature to you. Then you will do certain things automatically, which before you would have struggled to do it all. This is good because if you had to stop and think of what to do in some particular crisis or moral challenge, the moment would have passed and the disaster might have struck. The future of the kingdom is entrusted to you. Are you prepared to serve? Will you be prepared to serve? So I'm going to ask you to go back to your pasture, to your few little sheep, to your secret place, and prepare. God will call you into service when you're ready. And I'll close with Philippians 3. Again, we've read this earlier today, but I think it bears repeating. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, As many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Amen. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for trials. We thank you for friends. And we thank you for the little things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.